Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important when they were young. Our guest today is the author of Exciting Times, Nisha Dolan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Uh, you're going to talk to us about Gossip Girl. I am. Which is very interesting and exciting because it's completely new to me. So I guess for anybody who wasn't watching E4 in 2007, what was Gossip Girl? So Gossip Girl is situated in Manhattan's Upper East Side among um, the rich attendants of Constant Gillard, Constant Billard Private School. Um, and our protagonist is Blair Waldorf. And the series starts when her erstwhile best friend Serena Vanderwoodson returns to Manhattan under somewhat mysterious circumstances. And um, the titular Gossip Girl is an anonymous gossip blog about the... the social ongoings of these teenagers but I actually think it's the least interesting aspect of the show and it mostly comes into play when they need something to happen and there's no way to just make the characters do it without this kind of external imposition that they don't have to explain properly so mainly it's about the kind of power dynamics between them and um, I suppose how that fits into the nature of a clique in this very specific social setting. So that's what I really like about it, that kind of precision. And it's informed a lot by the books which were written by someone who went to one of these actual schools. I think it's called the Nightingale Bamford School. So you, you, yeah, you, you can tell what the uniform looks like from that name, oh, can't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you read the books as well, you were saying? Yeah, um, I wasn't as avidly into them. I think what really struck me about the show was the aesthetic. I loved mm. um, that kind of preppy dress sense and also just how into it they all were and how unabashedly so. I mean, it was a horrendous rich people thing, obviously, but I think as an Irish person, I saw it as so outside anything that I could relate to that I wasn't even thinking about how much they were spending on all of this. It was just pretty stuff that didn't pertain to my own life and it's that I could appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The show takes a load of things for granted that I think other shows would feel like they had to explain, mm-hmm. like the money, or like the fact that they are, are all like essentially fifth years and they drink and take drugs and have lots of sex. But nobody ever comments on that or says, should we or shouldn't we not be doing this? It's just taken for granted that they do that amoral kind of vibes totally amoral behind that 100% yeah yeah Yeah, I mean generally the dynamic seems to be a bit closer to Skins than the average US teen show from that time yeah Yeah, like that was such an interesting which came first the Skins or the Gossip Girl (laughs) or any sort of prodigy of the same time Skins came out when I was in college so Skins was first wow yeah yeah but I said the books and Skins are the books predate skins, but the TV show doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have relatively little in common in terms of social milieu, but I think in terms of appreciating the teenagers take drugs and don't necessarily philosophize about it at length. And the really good point, actually. <laughs> I was like, shit, we really didn't think of it. I don't know what we were doing. There was no unpacking. We weren't like processing our emotions about yeah. the massive chindos and the fucking, yeah. like, can't. No. And I mean, I don't feel well placed to comment on whether that reflects an actual cultural difference in the US or if it's just that they're prissier at the level of commissioning. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like Americans in college, Americans who came to Ireland for college were lightweights. 
compared yeah, to us. They yeah. were and they would kind of they would lose themselves for a year. Because we had like five years on them. They were yeah, like, yeah. I'm 21. And we'd be like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, and a lot of them are really into virginity, aren't they? Like mm. that, yeah. that bit of glee about that. I, I thought that was completely made up. But no, no. They're real into it. Yeah. Like, wild. Uh, they're... There's like a threshold thing that they cross that we that's I think it's blurrier for Irish teenagers mm. or was anyway I don't know what it's like now who fuck literally who knows what it's like for the children now but for us in the past it was uh, it all just kind of smeared into what not that it wasn't ceremonial in some regard but it also uh, wasn't like stop the clocks really yeah. no it was, it was like ramp up towards eighteen instead of just twenty one all right yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking I'm drinking. I'm in Ireland now, giving everyone problems. Well, mechanically, they don't seem to have the same opportunities, don't they? They don't have the Gwail talk or any of that. I guess they've they summer camp, camp, but that's very he- band camp. Yeah, yeah. they all do camps. Yeah. And, but they're all very kind of. They're also like very pure as well. Yeah. They don't have like, fields heard. and woods. And they, stuff. Well, they do have fields and woods, but they all have cabins in them, and adults yeah. who are just like. And say your prayers. That's true. You know? <laughs> yeah, just not what we have. Or like the fact that continually shocks me that most of them have a physical roommate in college. Mm. How mm. do I, I mean, I know that's on the rise here in this atrocious city, but mm. as a last resort, not as something that people take as a neutral fact about their lives. That I was know. a bit of cat person that really blew me. That she had a roommate <laughs> yeah. who had slept in the same room as her. Yeah. yeah. No, I had, a, I had a couple of girls from the country who... Um, like tremendous gas girls like the the oh my god what a complete ashlings of my life mm-hmm. fantastic girls who part of my just being like oh you have a farm huh was uh, you stay with a roommate in your room another girl lives in your room another girl lives in your room another girl lives in your room that you go home to every night what like in their digs you know I had that so first digs year. culture oh my god oh yeah. no and it was the room was smaller than this it was no. like a slumlord kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. it was yeah. bad. Like yeah. having sex when you're 19 is always going to be a minefield without the additional barrier of making sure that there isn't another person in a in bed the, half a meter away from you while doing so. In the room. Yeah. Or someone about to come in. Yeah. Like, no. No, no, yeah, you don't want that. There's too much shit to consider anyway. But like people living on campus also gives them, like this is all purely from an outsider perspective, but like... Going, being able to live on campus is nuts to me because I commuted two and a half hours to and from college every day for four years. Um, having somewhere to live in the campus like that—that's all fairy tale shit for me. Do you know? Oh god, yeah, like, no, I, I probably not relevant, but I could go on a huge tangent about my year at Oxford and like you got these eighteen-year-olds. So someone yeah. comes <laughs> into that, that feels very relevant. <laughs> yeah. To this. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, probably the thing that blew my mind the most was they have what's called a scout, which is someone who is paid to go into these 18-year-olds' rooms once a week and take their bins out Whoa. and hoover. A ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So it is very possible if you're a boy who went to Eton and then went to Oxford and then went to a job in the city where you can play, pay someone to do that shit to just never have to do that shit yourself in your entire life. Never encounter a washing machine. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Which explains a whole lot about the Brits, I, I think. know what I mean. I'm Especially about the government. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, so like the mechanics of that um, at times got quite awkward. Who's because coming in when? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to New York. Right. Back to Blair Waldorf. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I love the names in Gossip Girl. I was going to say, I'm just like... I because I didn't watch the time and only experienced it now for the first time. I am he, seeing all these names and going, "Oh, that was a Gossip Girl person," oh. and figuring out which ones were fictional names and which ones were real names. Because every actor you can switch their name with their character's name yeah. and it still works. Yeah, and I mean, not unlike other elements of the show. If you watch it as an Irish teenager, you're like, "This is wild! This complete yeah. fantasy!" And then you're like, "Oh, people really are out there calling themselves things like that." 
yeah, dressing like, like that. Chase Crawford like is as much of a name as Nate. Yeah. Whatever his name was, yeah. Chase Crawford. Penn Badgley. Yeah, Penn that's, Badgley, the, yeah. that's the waspiest name I've ever heard or in my Chuck life. Chuck Bass. I always yeah. thought it was people mispronouncing Lance Bass. It's I thought that was like a nickname for Lance Bass. That sounds like a thing you'd see on a menu. Yeah. yeah. Chuck Bass. But like mm-hmm. Ed Westwick, his real name, equally a rich person name. Yeah, he's British, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I, I kept like scrutinising the accent, but I'm really bad at picking out fake American accents. Mm. So. He has a little bit of that. There's a, a little growl that British actors do when they're doing an American accent. You hear it in Hugh Laurie a lot. Huh. There's a little slight like bassy growl that they do. I personally keep it. I would never be able to identify Hugh Laurie's growl that he does. I never would ever be able to identify that because I have never paid attention to that <laughs> for many hours of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you leave the growl radar on. You oh my god! So yeah, I could imagine that that must be a great thing to hear. Hugh Laurie's <laughs> American accent must be brilliant. Yeah. Oh, there's probably a compilation on YouTube. Yeah, definitely never seen one of those. Yeah, no, never. Mm, can't relate. Never seen one of those, ever. I'm, I'm mad as hell at myself that I thought I'd seen all of Gossip Girl, but actually had seen all of Pretty Little Liars and just got mixed up. Uh, I've never seen all of Pretty Little Liars. They're between us. We have an expert knowledge, right? Of this one particular uh, oeuvre of, of, of it's mystery. Like the, the Star Trek and Star Wars of privileged New York kids. They're kind of, they're all aliens to me, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, they really are. Which is uh, interesting because I feel like so many people who felt like um, the victims or at least the subjects of complete indifference of the popular girls at their own school were yeah. still really into these shows. Because they're a fantasy, they're a power yeah. fantasy, right? Yeah, completely. So what is the kind of plot at the, like for somebody who thought that they had seen all of it and then was like, oh, that's the other <laughs> show. <laughs> Shit, good morning, everyone. Yeah. Hi, how's it going? It's a Saturday in April. Uh, <laughs> um... Tell me what the is what is it the, the story at the core? Like is it a soap? Is there a mystery at the core? Does somebody get murdered or am I thinking pretty little liars? Uh bring me in from the outside like an alien. Yeah, so it's a complete soap, but it's uninterested in the plot compared to the spectacle that the plot enables us to see. Awesome. So, you know, they'll choose to center an episode around a, a play of one of Edith Wharton's novels. And the, the main point of that is very clearly to just get them dressed up and doing that. But then, mm. so yeah, it, it's a soap, but the, pro- the plot is a little bit more secondary. So the first season kind of hinges around the circumstances surrounding Serena's disappearance and reappearance. And then the implications that has for Blair's relationship with her boyfriend, Nate. Um, and then there are various subplots with people trying to get into Blair's clique and her own um, relationship in this power structure and they all have completely fucked up families which is incredibly surprising given how rich they are and and uh, it appears that there are about 10 people in Manhattan or, or the show would have you think that but then know, that's a really fair way. that's a fair approximation the yeah. rest is just uh, <laughs> smoke and mirrors all the way down the line yeah I mean there's also a, a lot of kind of friend stuff about seeing where the poor characters live oh. and <laughs> it, like in their gorgeous loft oh, oh yeah they're rustic bohemian loft spaces yeah, in New yeah, York yeah. that totally exist those yeah. ones yeah and also I think it's always instructive when you're watching shows set in private schools in other countries to look up how much private school costs in other countries and it's like <laughs> oh okay that's an Irish mortgage <laughs> That's that's real. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we we tend to equivocate, don't we? And go, okay, so that's American for BlackRock, and it's like, no, we don't actually have anything that we can equate to going to one of these. Having worked in the states for a wealthy family um, as part of a staff, one thing that I learned and that I will never unlearn 
is that exact thing that there is no equivalent of the wealth versus the rich people are rich people right yeah eat the rich wealth is something very different and it is it is bottomless in a way that things that we witness here might seem lavish or decadent or irritating in some capacities especially with all the um with the way things are going now it can be quite challenging like richness is frustrating wealth is bottomless yeah and it's the social fun. distance that it creates, I, I think, oh. in a way, it makes it easier to understand the show and it makes it somewhat more plausible that these people would only interact with this limited set of characters whose names we can remember. Because they don't know how to talk to normal people. No, they do How not. much is a banana? Yeah. Like those kind of people, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, like Blair has her Polish nanny and that relationship is completely one-sided. And at the... At, on the one hand, it's a kind of welcome point of emotional connection and candor. Yeah. And on the other hand, you're like, holy shit, this is worlds apart from yeah. how most people relate to most people. Vanessa's interesting in that respect because she's homeschooled. And um, in an early episode, Serena and Dan are making out in a cafe. Mm-hmm. And turns out Vanessa has started working that, that day. And it's just, it has not occurred to them that someone they know would work in a job. So the, the people were just blurs to them until they realize it's someone they actually know wow and so it's um yeah they're just very oblivious to there's a blinkers on for anybody who doesn't have like a net worth of 10 15 million yeah yeah Yeah. more probably yeah what a strange life and do we do we see much of the adult cast or is it mostly just centered on a good bit actually more than i was expecting yeah yeah Yeah. i i think they crop up more as the show continues as Mm -hmm. well and there's sort of weird dynamics with the parents being romantically entangled and then their children also being romantically entangled come on riverdale yeah (laughs) (laughs) but then again maybe that is what richmond hattonites do since they are so few and nothing else to do with themselves really do they like you know dan's sorry yeah dan's dad is um a former one-hit wonder whose band were in like Rolling Stones' ten best forgotten bands in the nineties. Oh wow! And he looks—I don't know if he's just dressed in two thousand seven or he's dressed bad. But he has like a weird leather tight necklace for the first few episodes, oh, no. and like feathery hair. Oh no! Not dissimilar to mine. Also, looks him up. He's three years older than me in the first few episodes. <sighs> So the parents are my age oh, in God, this show. Oh, God, don't say that. It's <laughs> like, horrible. Yeah. It's very bad. It's like every, yeah. Yeah, every year we get closer and closer to the age of the, of, of the Rugrats parents. Mm. Oh. That's what I hate the most about <laughs> my life right now. Wait, how old are Rugrats parents? Our age, Alan. Yeah, I thought, I thought so, because they're babies. Yeah, like yeah. 32, 36. Mm, no, yeah. don't enjoy it one bit. <laughs> don't like it. Don't like that one bit. No. Nope. So good for it. Uh, I hate that you told me that the parents in Gossip Girl are our age. Cool. Well, anyway. They're, they're 38, 39. They're not your age or my age. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. They're also enough. abundantly Botoxed, so who can oh, say really? Look, I mean, it's coming for all of us, right? Be grand. Be grand. Uh, so, is, so there is a disappearance that happens. Uh, Serena, you said, disappears. Yeah. What is the crack with that? Is it like a murdery well, disappearance? No, she, just, she leaves. She goes oh. off to boarding school. Oh, okay. So she goes and to boarding they, school. And they don't know why she went. Oh. And then she comes, the first episode is her arriving back from being gone for a year. Why did she go? Oh. Well, this is this is early spoilers. You can't yeah, so. spoil something that came out in never tell. My husband makes these 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 Gossip Girl XOXO jokes all the time, and now I'm like, well, so, now I'm here to learn <laughs> what the fuck he's doing with his Gossip Stone XOXO yeah. jokes that he makes. Um, yeah, no, like the Gossip Girl narrator is, mm. I think, a, a is it Kristen Bell. 
Mm. Yeah, cool. she, she's yeah. a unique entity in television in that sometimes she's extraordinarily clever and funny and then sometimes it's just this bizarre mixed metaphor that makes no sense whatsoever but it's delivered at such a breakneck pace that you're like, you're clever, you know what's going on. And I, th- I think that invisible authority is really interesting. Mm. Same with Desperate Housewives, which is a similar time period as well, have the same thing. Wow. So you're, you're paying someone to be here so you need to give them a certain amount of lines oh. so you, you need to force something in there even if it doesn't necessarily fit anything and is, she, is it heavily narrated or is it just like little bits and pieces um, in there I would say it's better as narrated as Love Island is Alan I have not watched Love oh Island God. please okay. leave me alone I will watch it I will watch it I'm it's, sorry she drops in maybe what three four times an episode yeah yeah just to set scenes and is Kristen Bell in it no Oh, so she's just like a ghost. <laughs> oh, yeah, because the actual author of Gossip Girl is anonymous to the last episode. So she's just the stand-in. Is it's it Blair really, Waldorf? No, it's really disappointing. Uh. And it's in the Wikipedia page. And I'm, I hate it because I've only watched eight episodes and I can tell that it's ridiculous that it's this person. Yeah. It's Dan. But the thing is, it yeah. would have been ridiculous for it to be anyone because there's... Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, it, it feels silly to point out to one given thing that doesn't make sense in Gossip Girl because yeah. the, the entire conceit of it. But like, there are scenes in the early episodes where Dan will read a thing on Gossip Girl when he's alone and be shocked by it. Hold on, these people it. are all real hot. What's happening Yeah, it's here? ridiculous. This yeah. is outrageous. Yeah. What? Oh, they're all white. Every uh, last one. Uh, From no, this Vanessa's uh, Hispanic. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah. Okay, yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, I, I don't know about the dynamics of an actual school like that enough to mm. say whether that's um, them being, I, I mean... Authentic or not. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Same with like when girls was like, no, all Hannah's friends would be white because that's Hannah, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, um, yeah, they're ridiculous. Um, like, there's a, a, an old Charlie Brooker column where he said he realised he was middle-aged when he was reading uh, the paper and it was a picture of my main class and he realised he'd just been staring at the picture for five minutes without doing anything else. He was like... Oh God! Oh no! And that's Ugh. like gossip. You're like Blake Lively is just amazing to look at. Just you just can't, you can't take your yeah. eyes off her face. They guy? cast her ma so well as well. Mm. Kelly Rutherford, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the parent casting is really good. They they recast Blair Waldorf's mother after the first episode oh. to be um, uh, what's her name? I can't remember. She's Jeff Goldblum's wife from Independence Day. Oh, weird! Yeah, yeah. but she looks exactly like Leighton Meister. Uh, well, I'm not sure if pronouncing her name right. Is it yeah, Easter? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's Leighton. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, perfect mother daughter look likeness. So the whole role of so does everybody who's knocking around know about this blog and are they like, please stop writing a blog about my life? They're obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah. They, all okay. read, they all like send anonymous tips to it like, on their very shit 2007 phones. Yeah, yeah including the yeah. adults to some degree. I think <laughs> so. It's just like Irish Twitter XOXO, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> where you just go on. And you're like, who's talking shit today? <laughs> like, yeah. what's going on? You know, like that makes sense, right? It it, it doesn't make sense for it to be Dan. Is the thing? Uh, yeah, because okay. he is the outsider character, kind of, because his like father to scrub and save his royalties to get him into the private school. Mm. But also, literally, there are there, he like I said, he does read Gossip Girl and be shocked by things he reads in it when he's alone. So it doesn't make Who sense. Who am I when yeah. I'm by yeah. myself? If, uh-huh. I, if it, what I think it should have happened, having watched eight episodes, this is my authoritative stance on it. It should have been that all of them were, and this was their nuclear option that they all knew all of them were contributing to this thing, oh. and they they would never bring it up to each other because they all knew. Oh, that's really good. That yeah. would have made more sense. Or that's just someone we don't know. Just a random person who you realise has been in the background of a lot of shots and you never spotted before. But instead just, they made it a main character. Because sometimes they will start a shot on someone like in the street looking at them and then pull back. And is the Gossip Girl blog like sinister? Like I'm, I'm going to do a crime on you? Or is it no, like... No, it's just like spotted. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, mm. okay. I think there's also the narrative possibility that some of the visual narration is separate to Gossip Girl. Like, we get immersed in Blair's fantasies and thought processes more oh. than the other characters. So there is that outside chance that when stuff happens that's inconsistent with Gossip Girl being Dan, that could be Blair imagining it happening, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't know how much material there is in the show to support this interpretation, <laughs> but it's the only way for it to make sense to me that if what we're seeing is what Gossip Girl is seeing or imagining. Oh, so are we seeing through the lens of gossip? Like, are we the viewer Well, it, of it's not Girl? entirely clear because there are things like Blair pitching herself going to Tiffany's that just don't make sense within that because why would this disembodied gossip voice be participating in a character's internal fantasies? Mm. Yeah, and there's like dream sequences and stuff yeah. as well. Oh. So... Yeah, narratively, yeah. it's all over the place. Yeah. Love a dream. It's whatever works. Yeah. yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I respect that. Mm. I feel like, like we were saying, like, Mike's like, fuck plot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's not really about that, yeah, no, you know? I, I, I love a soap that knows it's a soap, but also knows that it's just there to give you nice things to look at. Oh, mm. look, thank God. Like, do you know where it's just like, there's the discourse, but actually, fuck that. Look at the nice thing. Yeah. Do you know? Mm. Like, what a break. So in terms of your own work, uh, how did you, how do you feel like, or did it influence you as a writer, as somebody who, like, constructs fictional narratives and builds other worlds? Like, did this fantasy landscape charge you in some way? Did it inspire you in some way in what you've gone on to create? Yeah, well, what I was thinking about with Gossip Girl specifically is I had a tendency as a teenager to relate a lot to characters like Blair, um, the kind of uptight, popular girl. And I think that's because she has a lot of spectrum traits. So um, in the updated DSM-5, I think the two big poles are what they describe as social impairments, I'd say social differences, and yeah. then um, what they call restricted repetitive behaviours, which I'd consider differences in how much you rely on those things as opposed to it being necessarily bad. But anyway, she's someone who's very consciously memorised social codes and um, gets incredibly upset when they're not followed. She's got all these circumscribed interests that her conversations tend to revolve around whether or not the other person's into them. Um, and I, she's just very black and white in her expectations and her worldview. And I think in the absence of explicit representation, that was the kind of character that influenced me a lot and emboldened me, I suppose, to write about people with brains like mine, even yeah. if that wasn't the author's intention or yeah. the creator's. So, yeah, I, I think in that sense, um, that setting forward of a trope that you can play with is always really useful mm, it opens loads of doors it's amazing isn't it how like you said it yourself in the absence of any authentic representation there are cues and signals and codes that you can reach out and touch yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think so and I think in a way because women are often fictionally depicted so badly it's <laughs> just more, so poor yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's often more plausible to read them as on the spectrum and trying to mask conventional femininity so I think this about a lot of Victorian novels too because you've got a lot of one-sided women who really overplay the behaviours and beliefs that they're meant to exhibit as a 19th century English woman or what have you. And it's impossible to believe that that's actually a human. But if you think it's an autistic woman doing what many of us do, which is mimicking the people around you, absorbing the expectations, but sometimes taking it a bit literally and applying it a bit much in your effort to seem neurotypical, that's a much more plausible way of reading those women, even if the author didn't intend it. So mm -hmm. it, it's kind of a way out of having to believe 
all the bullshit that male writers want us to believe about ourselves. If you just think, what if this character has been fed that same bullshit and is trying to apply it, albeit in an over-the-top fashion at times. Mm. So I, I think that would also explain why characters like Blair go so hard on their place within the social hierarchy, because you can see why it feels vulnerable to them in a way that it doesn't to neurotypicals it would then become all-consuming to make sure that you're obeying it and mm. to police the obedience of others because you finally figured it out. And it's probably galling when you see people for whom all that stuff comes intuitively able to play around with it more than you can. And I, I think that's certainly what animates a lot of people's hatred for the not-like-other-girls thing. Yeah, go on. Mm. Go on on that in terms of the not-like-other-girls yeah. thing. Like That's interesting. Yeah, um, I I think there's a sense that we all have to do 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 eh, we all have to do a degree of it to survive. Oh, within the patriarchy, absolutely. Yeah. Like it's collusion, toe to toe. Like yeah, but then performing your lack of doing it and that being in itself a different survival mechanism is one that allows us to ignore the whole sordid business. Yeah, there are so many layers to it, isn't it? Like there's no version of femininity that you can't ultimately construct as performing in a way to cleave to the demands of patriarchy because the Mm. more overtly just being yourself you are, the more you're naturalising those very requirements. Yeah, and the more you make a point of not doing the, like, tip, the the tip, the typified... um, performances of femininity yeah. the more you're like I'm not doing those then you're vilifying those yeah so then you are like is is that not internalized misogyny right do you yeah. know what I mean so it's a real fucked if you do fucked if you don't yeah trap. yeah so that's what's so likable about someone like Blair I think someone who just says look I'm doing all this shit because it gets me ahead do you know and that naked ambition is really really frightening I think for lots yeah. of people like it's really uh it, it, that is how you build an un, un, inverted commas or fucking bold typeface unlikable female protagonist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody who's difficult to follow or, or empathise with as opposed to believe or be curious by. It's like, I don't yeah. want to empathise with her necessarily. Maybe I want to be curious about what she's going to do. Yeah, right? and Isn't... at least with someone like Blair, you're like, okay, the reason that Blair is more successful in this social code than I am on top of her extreme <laughs> unjust inherited wealth is the fact that she tries so hard. Whereas Serena mm. also has the extreme unjustified inherited wealth and can just do it all effortlessly. That's what Blair resents the most about her. That's what I resent the most about her. Loads of people hate Serena. And it's really nice as a woman to see people hate Serena because your experience in your own life is often the opposite, that the more someone naturalizes their conformity to the, to the requirements of femininity, the more they're praised for it. Yeah, because you shouldn't ever look like you're trying or enjoying yeah. it. Mm. And if you look like you're trying or enjoying it, then you're doing something really, really wrong. It's like the whole argument around makeup, right? Where people yeah. like, where there's a very, very large swathe of the male public who do believe that p- women are born with a tiny black line on top of their eyelid that yeah. just goes into a little <laughs> triangle in the corner because that's what natural makeup is, is looks yeah. like, you know, or that... Or uh, I, uh, I I ventured out of the house this week without a new makeup on because I was just not fucked. And uh, I was waiting for somebody to say, are you sick? Yeah. Now, nobody did. But the self, the, the part of me that has had that experience in the past was like, if I don't try and even moderately enhance my natural facial structure, I'm going to look ill. Yeah. And that's... Uh, 
fucked to be totally honest but there's this line of it takes effort to perform effortlessness so in terms of Serena as a character can you tell me a bit about her again like Alien who totally thought she had seen the show but had seen (laughs) the murder show instead Um, what's so effortless about her yeah um, so this is largely something that Blair tells us um, in her sort of outbursts of rage so the dynamic underlying their friendship is that Serena was at the top of this social heap before she left and now Blair is Queen Bee and is thus displeased by the re-emergence of this kind of tall Sienna Miller looking person who can just take it all back if she wants but doesn't even want it because she's so far above all that. So yeah, it's this dynamic of I, I describe it like Mozart and Salieri. Oh yeah, yeah. I love Mozart Salieri. Every so often, I'm like, uh, ha, 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 yeah, ha. you know, as a Salieri ass bitch myself, I can oh relate. My God. I am like, I am Mozart under the piano. Like, I'm sorry, I truly am. I feel like seeing Amadeus. I want. Will somebody come on and do an Amadeus episode with us, please? Will somebody talk to me? The weird three hour Mozart movie that I watched over and over again as a teenager. But that's a really interesting dynamic, especially in friendships um, that there is a, a a straight man and a clown do you know or yeah. like somebody who is like a savant and somebody who's a scholar yeah. you know and that is uh, ruin is, is bound to it and especially when that's kind of imprisoned with all of the horrible trappings of how women treat each other it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's soap that's yeah. exactly how you tell a soap yeah. right yeah and it's interesting how our sympathies as viewers are in influenced by the cultural position of the thing they're both attempting like proficiency at making up a piece of music on the spot probably hits different for most of us to being really popular in a New York prep school but But both require they they require a fluency and a charisma and look or look that or 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 effort that doesn't sort of chafe against the notion of uh like appearing of, of, yeah. of like trying oh, there's a yeah. really really instructive early episode where Blair uh, gets hired to be the model for her mother's um, collection uh-huh. her mother's a fashion designer excellent so she has a fashion shoot she is how most supposed to be at a fashion shoot yeah, just... she, like she's doing the things but not really she, you doing can see in her head thing, she's like yeah. I'm doing the thing yeah and then Serena comes over to her and is trying to help her because they're on a, a, a friendship plateau at this point so they're actually good with each other oh but the camera catches Serena helping her and Serena is effortless at oh. it. And they secretly replace her with, with Serena. Without telling Serena, Serena doesn't know she's complicit in this. Yeah. yeah. But it's... I feel like you're supposed to root for Serena slightly because we can see the effort that Blair, the Blair wants this and is trying. And that the effort is somehow the effort is somehow unlikable, unlikable or ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which to circle back to what you were saying about makeup, I think that's what's so interesting about getting inside the mind of someone like Blair because would she fuck put on her makeup on public transport? But mm. then the, one of the reasons we're meant to find her unlikable is if you see someone like that meticulously perfecting their appearance in their private lives. Yeah then it's okay as long as nobody else is looking, right? Yeah. That you pull back the curtain and you're like, and surprise, I woke up like this. The yeah. big myth of I woke up like this, you know? Yeah. Like, that's a, that's part of the Mozart bullshit. It's like, no, you fucking didn't. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, completely. You did not wake up like that. Fuck off. Very difficult to play, actually. Leighton Meester is a really good job because mm-hmm. you, you kind of think of her as she's going to be uh, like Sarah Michelle Gellar and Cruel Intentions at the start. Yeah. But there's this vulnerability just underneath the surface and you can see it. Yeah. That she really does want the the want you can you can see the want in her. 
and want is an ugly thing, isn't it? Right? It can be. Like yeah. a need, need becomes ugly. Let me, Leslie Jameson uh, talks a bit about that that um, idea of, around uh, love and like how we treat other people and mm. that uh, this horrible construct of that uh, effort is the enemy of. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact quote because it's fucking perfect about uh, uh, the notion of effort chafes against the idea that love should rise unbidden do you know like mm-hmm. that all the best things in this world are things that we don't construct that they're natural right mm-hmm. that they're easy as opposed to just trying a little hard and then you get the same result mm-hmm. but somehow that trying is uh like vile or or abject even. yeah <laughs> which is so interesting given that in other ways it's a show entirely mired in American capitalism. Mm. Not one that necessarily buys into the myth of meritocracy because you can see for yourself where the characters are all starting from and how much they take their wealth for granted. But to enjoy the show, you need at the very least to be able to bracket the consideration of how unjust it all is. Yeah. And and I suppose that plays into um, that broader need to naturalise how the characters are doing. Like, I, I don't know if you're this far into the show, but later on that same dynamic of effortlessness comes in when they're doing their college applications because the US mm. is insane. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They're like, what's your blood type? Have you yeah. ever kissed a baby? How, how many, many people have you rescued from a building? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how many dogs have you personally said hello to? Yeah. Did you ever kick one? Even once? (laughs) Yeah, so there's this dynamic where Blair's a Yale legacy, um, but also extremely hardworking academically and has um, based all her efforts for several years, indeed her entire life as far as you can see, towards wanting to get get into Yale. And then Serena just effortlessly charms the dean when she's there again. And Mm. it's like, who am I even meant to root for here? I think I hate them both. Yeah, Yeah, which is nice in a way. Like, I think that's the other thing. It's nice having a show where by and large, we're not meant to sympathize with someone with slightly less money than these characters just for having slightly less money. I mean, you know, Dan Humphrey and so on try to pull that off. But I, I think the, sh- the show's creators seem pretty okay with the idea of us not liking them. Mm. So I, where the, the wealth is the backdrop, I think you can get much more interesting stuff about those individual differences when the characters have broadly the same level of privilege. And then it just comes down to how they move through the world and how good they are at performing that privilege. Mm. That's interesting, like because the wealth then becomes the fantasy landscape. It becomes the yeah. starship enterprise, right? Mm. Where you're just like, okay, well, this is just what they're doing. Yes, yeah, like if you chop off the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then what happens with these people? Well, yeah. What's their personality once all that's sorted? Oh, you don't have to worry about that. You Imagine know? how awful I could be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I wasn't like worried about yeah. money. Mm. I, that would be so good. <laughs> I would love to find out how terrible I could become if yeah. I was uh, an unstoppably wealthy monster. Right, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Like, even with the clothes, like, there's a, mm. a little bit here and there of, like, the character Jenny buying stuff secondhand or borrowing characters' clothes or altering it. But by and large, money just isn't a consideration for how they dress. And it, yet, how they dress is still a huge social factor. So it's another thing where even Taste given the same comes result, out of yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's what you do with that wealth. Like, how, like if, if everything is available to you, then you have to develop new levels of ways to hate each other right yeah yeah, yeah. and 
I think another thing that has me armchair diagnosing Blair as being on the spectrum is how successfully she dresses around Manhattan prep school. But then when she goes to NYU... <laughs> that's a different landscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It wouldn't last a minute, really, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's Lena Dunham rich, not like... <laughs> that's like, so rich and yet so many poorly fitting play suits, Lena. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was thinking exactly. about girls recently. I think I, I, think I saw a tweet uh, on the LTL about um, how nobody realised it was a satire. I didn't feel like a satire at the time. Uh, it, feels, it, it felt very earnest, but maybe with the benefit of six years, it, it does look like a satire now. Uh, um, I think the first season people were pretty bought into it being a satire and then Lena Durst Dunham's like real life personality made people doubt it as it went on <laughs> God love her it's yeah. actually when she tried to um, sure. <laughs> convince us that it was yeah. <laughs> that, that's when she comes off most poorly when she's mm. trying to do you ever hear like the phrase she's her own worst enemy and mm. then you really see a living example of it God mm. love her like she's brilliant but like yeah Americans Lena. just should not attempt to control their public image because they invariably end up with a worse one than before they started. Ah, the Jamila Jamil conundrum. Like, just don't do it to yourself. Okay, we're down one. We just need to not do it two times more and then we're safe. That's it. It's grand. Like, but the girls thing is, in terms of privilege and richness, that, that mm. was what alienated me from it. I was just like, I can't watch this show. And mm. we were all living in a one bed. It's like where you are in your life when you see these things as well. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and what kind of fantasy you want to project and how close things are to your reality. Like skins always felt a bit gross to me because it was a little bit too close. Yeah, it's and you if you had like 20 quid more a week. And that's <laughs> skins. No, skin, yeah, yeah, a little bit. It was also if we had 20 quid more, but we would have fucking spent it on bags. So that's why we like, and I was such a well-behaved kid. But looking at that world, I it was, it was at the time, especially I was their age. Yeah. So it was like way too close to be. I mean, I watched all of it, but I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is. Yeah, I think Very the fact close. that they got actual teenagers as well. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. that level of safety you feel as a teen when you're watching 23-year-olds playing you. Yeah, yeah, it's a distance. But yeah. then when they're exactly like you, it's like, no, 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 no. And with girls, it was like, we were, me, Kerry, and my friend Christina were living in a one-bedroom apartment in San Francisco. Christina slept on a two-person couch for a year, like fucking trooper. And uh, Kerry and Christina used to sit across the room watching girls while I sat at my work desk writing my novel. And then every so often they'd be like, Sarah, this is you. And I'd be like, I'm not fucking here. Leave me alone. There was one night where I, I uh, went for a little nap on my desk and they were like, Sarah, she fell asleep in her book. <laughs> and um, it was so close that all of the ugliness of my own life at the time felt like it was matching up with that, right? Where there's no escape. There's no fantasy in looking at that. They just have more than you, but all the things that are wrong with them are the same as the things that are wrong with you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the matching up was... Um, it was oh it was fucking gross but when the you change the backdrop to extreme wealth instead of just Lena Dunham wealth which Mm. at the time didn't feel that extreme it felt just annoying um then it it's more transformative like uh did you feel like as a teenager in terms of what age would you have been watching Gossip Girl oh god I'd say mid-teens yeah mid yeah did you find it like escapism or did you find it uh like you're saying earlier you found it kind of instructional right yeah, um, well, I wasn't writing very much, yeah, so yeah. That, that probably just came in later in terms of feeling that it was okay to have characters that I wasn't necessarily inviting people to sympathise with. Mm, mm. Yeah. Allowing yourself to... Exciting Times is about money in a lot of ways as well, isn't it? And about... Yeah, I, I suppose it's a response to the fact that I 
find it difficult to relate to fiction that doesn't consider money because it's mm. such a part of my psyche and how I make my decisions. Mm. And I think that's a very generational thing. And so I don't know how to construct a brain where that's not a factor. Yeah. And in a way, Gossip Girl is indicative that that mightn't even be specific to if money is a constraint for you, because it seems like the less of a constraint it is, the more it animates what these characters do. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like that, that never, literally never occurred to me to, I guess when I'm writing, I'm always just like, and imagine if it was a spaceship, <laughs> let's just fucking remove reality out of the picture altogether. It could be somewhere different. I'm such a fucking escapist that... It never occurred to me, and especially where I am when I'm working on the moment, I'm like, I should probably have her check an ATM at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, you know, like that's a really good point that it does inform personality and personhood because it's uh, it's it's uh, often a primary source of anxiety. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose the nature of escapism is you find some things to tether it to, and then the rest can kind of float from there. So, mm. what I find is if I'm maybe less escapist about the material realities, then I feel like I have more playroom for the emotions of the characters. Right, yeah, I totally get you. Yeah, like if I can make that reference, then it it almost helps to pin down how they relate to each other, which is the bit that I'm completely imagining. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. I'm doing a hand gesture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like you need to choose a language and a code for it to happen in because otherwise it's too hard to judge what will make sense, I yeah, think. Absolutely, like, fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's the appeal of something like Gossip Girl, where it's a world that's not especially familiar to you, but once you've gotten a rudimentary grasp of the currency and the structures that dictate how it operates you can then make sense of everything going forward with those. And there's something pleasing about seeing it make sense in its own bubble, even if that's insane to the outside one. And as the show goes on, it helps you accept all sorts of absurdities that you wouldn't normally. Like there's this much maligned bit, I think it's in the third series, where Dan sends off his first ever unsolicited short story to the New Yorker and it gets accepted. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, which in a vacuum, it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake. But... In the context of the show, it's like this is maybe the hundredth most absurd thing to happen in the last ten minutes. And he's the only writer in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it's not a show about writing. So Mm. you don't feel like they're trying to take the reality of your life and skewer it. It's just like a detail that they dropped in. Like, And they probably make just as absurd claims about any other industry that I'm less well-placed to recognise as absurd. Yeah, Yeah. like the idea that you you would get your daughter into model and her friend just was kind of just a bit better at her than... And you would would just take pictures of her instead and not tell your child. Mm -hmm. You know, that's... Or indeed the fact that Blair's 5'3 and Serena's 5'11 or whatever and like it wouldn't have been decided on site. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a... That's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. It's a big height difference, given... Yeah. Uh, God, that... I was like, I wouldn't even want an unsolicited email to the New Yorker in my inbox, you know, in my sent folder, just because the shadow of that mortification would stretch out over the rest of my life. Yeah. Because I can't believe I did that. Jesus. But at the same time, there's a very, um, I think, comforting and refreshing lack of specific cultural weight attached to writing in the arts and Gossip Girl. Mm. Like Dan's dad's a complete loser for being obsessed with his music and Dan, to a lesser degree, is for being obsessed with writing too. And that's great because I hate when it's meant to be an automatic road to respecting a character that they write. And I think that mystification of writing is a product of the... Yeah, it's... 
I mean, it stops you from attempting it if you don't see yourself as a Dan Humphrey figure. It, mm-hmm. it, it, I think it influences as well how we react to people's writing because if that's the status of a writer, then someone is presumptuous in writing a book and hoping that people will read it. And the bar is higher and unhelpfully so. And the social uh, stuff around it then becomes really, like people assume that you think you're brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. actually you just really wanted to do this one thing. Yeah. Do you know? And it, that's a class thing as well that like there's people I grew up with and uh, people from my, my, my life at home where they're just like, oh yeah, she thinks she's fucking brilliant. Like, and that's, mm. and that's because of how writers have been historically portrayed as people who just are like, believe themselves to be fantastic or for whom it is like um, easy again you yeah. can just send an email to the New Yorker and they will take your do you yeah. know what I mean like that is uh, unhelpful beyond all reasonable belief and also characterizing writers in fiction as being in some way like I guess we are outsiders obviously but there's no glory in that that's yeah. not fun like I was thinking again about um, Riverdale and fucking Jughead being like this writer and it's it's like no, he's a wanker. It's not yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not the same thing. And it's really, really not the same thing. Um, so yeah, is there, so there, it's not. It, it's nice that it's not the focal point as well. Yeah. Like and like I, I've never yet written fiction with any writers in it, and I don't know if I ever will. Oh, me neither. Yeah, I'm just. I, I'm so incurious about writing as a thing. And, yeah. And I. I feel like people always find it interesting when you choose not to write about something, which is a weird way of framing it to me because the world is just so chock full of things that you could make your subjects and there's always going to be a particularity to what you take or what you don't. Mm. Like the the character I'm working with at the moment is an English student and on my second pass, she might fucking not be. Yeah, yeah. Because I did that. Yeah. And I'm kind of sick of it. Yeah. And even as I'm writing bits of it, I'm like... Do I care how she feels about Anne Sexton? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Is anyone else going to care? Mm, yeah, and, not. and like there's that quote, what is it, writing about something is like dancing about architecture, writing about art, I think. And I think it's yeah. actually useful to dance about architecture. I think there's something in making sense of the things that other people do and that light up other people's brains through the thing that lights up your brain. It's all the curiosity, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It's like if, you have, if you're curious about it, then you can... I don't know like isn't that what it's all meant to be is it's just yeah. like uh, lighting up dark rooms yeah yeah Do you know as opposed to just sitting there looking in the mirror yeah and like mm. I think the thing about Blair's one-sided relationships like my friendships with my autistic versus holistic as a non-autistic friends are very different in mm. that I'd have a, a number of special interests that I just really enjoy spouting off about. And when I'm with my autistic friends, I just do that. And then they spout off about theirs. And if there's overlap, we might discuss it. Or if not, we'll just like listen and learn. And yeah. and that's not seen as a one-sided dynamic because we're both doing it and we both enjoy it. But I know to dial that back with holistic people because there's a lot more of an assumption that you have to share something and ask questions about it and maybe keep it at a surface level if the other person isn't too immersed in it themselves. So I think that's the other reason the shows like Gossip Girl really appeal to me. Just they're unapologetic and taking for granted nature of just getting really immersed in a thing. And the fact that Blair's obsession with certain forms of fashion is as legitimate a focus of interest as Dan's writing, which is to say not very sometimes because they're both ridiculous people. But... (laughs) 
you know, that there's just as much material on the show to read one or the other as a narcissistic teenager whose life is probably artificially easy because of their many privileges, but who's also going to have a harder road of it than they envisage. Yeah. So they're remaking it. Oh, no. Yeah, but Kristen Bell is back. And it's like a new set of voice. people. Are you going to watch it? Possibly. Yeah. I, I just feel like when you've got an idea of something in your head, you kind mm. of want to preserve and cherish it, don't you? So It could oh, be yeah. a bit safe, but about the new class. Or yeah. X-Files. The new X-Files. Oh, X-Files, yeah. Which is just unobservable. Um, yeah. It's hard when they go back and they change the thing. Yeah. Well, this is a continuation, not a reboot. Oh, weird. Yeah, because it is a very much a 2007 time capsule. As well, even that like it's pre-iPhone. And the more that you were saying yeah. about this, I'm like, God, 2007 was a moment, wasn't it? Yeah, but like, the Serena's clothes in the first few episodes are like the way like Misha Barton and the Olsen twins dressed in 2007. Whoa. Yeah. It's that same designer kind Whoa. of thing. Yeah, it's real. It was a real trip. Yeah. And like Leighton Meester had um, a single with Cobra Starship called Good Girls Gone Bad oh, in 2009, wow. which I completely forgotten about until I started watching Gossip Girl again. Yeah. It I re- think that her actual dress sense has aged less badly just because it was already fairly vintage. Yeah, that's true. Um mm. So yeah, they, no, Serena's very, like, yeah, naughty boho kind yeah. of. Yeah, which is why it's funny watching it now, hat. because yeah. now you, you definitely see Blair as the more fashionable one. Mm, Serena totally, just yeah. looks like she's wearing a mask fashion. So. Yeah, yeah, I feel like Blair, the even the name Blair Waldorf gets thrown around nearly with the same kind of casual... Uh, you're expected to just know what a Blair Waldorf is. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, the same yeah. way you're expected to just know what a Rory Gilmore is. Or yeah. Holly Golightly. Or, or Holly yeah. Golightly. Yeah. Like they're, they're these, I, they emerge iconic from their shows mm. and take yeah. on a different kind of meaning. Yeah, someone on my master's once said that I dressed like an anti-fab Blair Waldorf. Oh <laughs> my <laughs> God. <laughs> Put that on your business card. Put that on your Twitter bio. Anti-fab Blair Waldorf. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. But like it, it has that immediate recognisability even if you mm. haven't seen the show. Then. Sorry, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'd like that's like a real good tramp stamp. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it's also probably fair. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I've done it today accidentally. Excellent. <laughs> it's fucking kicking it. Like, anti. I want. I want to be a. No, I don't want to be an anything Rory Gilmore. Actually, no. no. Yeah. I don't want to be an anything. <laughs> I don't want to be an anything Rory Gilmore. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to. I, I think it's also in many ways a fair description of my personality. Like, I think the thing I'm always trying to explain about autistic women is it's the nature of the obsession and circumscription and repetition that defines autistic modes of engaging with your interests and traits. It's not what it happens to be directed at. So like if a boy is obsessed with dinosaurs or trains, he's a lot more likely to get diagnosed than a girl who has that same level of of obsession with dolls, say like I did. But it, it still affects how they socially relate and how much ability they have to motivate themselves to do other things and all these sorts of things that it might be helpful to understand and have supported about themselves. Mm. So I, I think that's why as well. I'm chronically to, under yeah, chronically yeah. underdiagnosed as well in terms yeah. of uh, their presence on the spectrum. Yeah, completely. So yeah. I, I think that's why I can kind of set politics aside when I relate to characters like Blair. Like I've no yeah. doubt that Blair's a fucking Republican or a best like <laughs> a, a Clinton Democrat. Oh. But in terms of that personality type, then you're just like, so if I could persuade her of left politics, she would undoubtedly have that same level of obsession and passion once she got there. Yeah. Like, there, mm. there's no in-between, I think. It's she commits, and it's that ability to commit that makes it relatable, even if you intensely disagree with their chosen target. You can void it. You can void it if it's politics. You can... Op- you, yeah. can you, mm. you have to be able to. Like, I think there's no use in reading texts in a puritanical manner right yeah. and reading character which is 
fiction in a puritanical manner, right? We are all just trying to find little tiny bits of mirror to look yeah, and put in our pocket and go, it's okay. You know, there's somebody else like me in the world. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't matter if they're like awful yeah (laughs) they might have one set of behaviors or one set of or have something or a moment you Mm. know that might make you just feel a bit more like a human there was a very good sean Sean o'neill sean on twitter tweet Mm. about the new grimes album he's like it's a shame the new grimes album is so good because we all agreed to not separate the art from the artist anymore oh no i suppose (laughs) yeah isn't that it like it's so it's so mired isn't it yeah, Grimes, man. What's going on? I, I don't even look at yeah. it. should be grand. Yeah. So you, know. had, you sent me a whole list of like popular girl characters who totally yeah. fit into, in, in your opinion, like they yeah. definitely yeah. can be read as autistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I'm give us some examples that I think it will blow wanna, a lot of people's Okay, well, well, I think Paris Geller from Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like the obvious things, like the obsession with academic attainment, the degree to which she's upset of things, um, don't go according to routine or according to expectation. Her resentment, again, of Rory Gilmore is like, oh, I just woke up like that, which is beautifully typified in that one where Lorelai tells her to put on some lip gloss and then she's oh. like, uh, just, yeah. So like, I, I think anyone can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Put the both in the sewer. <laughs> and Rory. I watched yeah. the whole damn thing and I'm like, I fucking hate both of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely more... I'm yeah. more of a virus and I'm not like any of them but I look at Laurie Gilmore with that same level of yeah yeah so I, I think Paris has that same thing of someone who's quite clearly memorised mm. by rote a huge number of social expectations that most people can just pick up and do to a greater or lesser degree yeah. because she's a very clever person she's often better at them than the people to whom they come intuitively because it's an object of study for her but the moments where failure meets her are those Mozart moments right yes which is yeah, frustrating. and then she also has what Blair has, which is difficulty adapting to new circumstances because then she has to go back to square one because she has none of those instincts. And has to learn a whole new set of codes yeah. and a whole new set of systems all over again. That's yeah. exhausting for poor Paris. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> which is also why on Autistic Tumblr there's considerable support for the idea of Autistic Elle Woods because it makes perfect sense. She focuses right. as one of her special interests the performance of Californian femininity but then she's in this new environment and she still loves this mode of presenting herself. And it's a joke and, for doing it all wrong, even yeah. though the, oh, the, some of the things that she's doing are excellent and beyond correct. She's still got the other trappings from the other world, which she hasn't had time to let go of yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, completely. wow. Yeah. And I think right it links to how autistic women survive socially, because it's not that we have less autism than men do. It's boys experience fewer adverse consequences for not fitting in whereas if you're a girl you have to be able to make friends for protective reasons like you're just too vulnerable to stand out in the same way if you can possibly avoid it so often what you do is you wield your ability to get obsessed with circumscribed topics but you choose ones that are more socially acceptable so like what I did when I started secondary school was consciously became an emo (laughs) so you can definitely see a reading where Elle Woods does the same with being a California girl Blair Waldorf does the same with being a prep Paris Gallo does the same with being a slightly different breed of prep brain on the table yeah yeah Yeah. or or a different spin on it that we discussed was Jessie from Saved by the Bell. Ah, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so she'd be more of a social justice autistic stereotype to my mind. And I connect a lot with a different strand of my adolescent self there where I, I think there's a thing where because autistic people tend to like 
rules and black and white thinking a little bit more. When we perceive something as wrong, we have a lot more difficulty filtering it out, which combined with our tendency towards bluntness and um, inability sometimes to judge whether it's socially appropriate to tell the truth by neurotypical rules. I think you should always tell the truth, but it's not my world. Um, (laughs) That does mean that we come across as self-righteous a lot of the time. So like I completely spontaneously and with no social backdrop or encouragement went vegetarian aged eight because I realised that I was eating an animal and that an animal had to die for that to happen. And then when relatives asked me while I was doing that, while eating their meat, I answered the question honestly, as I saw it, which was because a pig died. <laughs> and I, I think there's a lot of that energy to how characters like Jesse um, engage with feminism or whatever other causes mm. animated them. And the way we're meant to see it is like, oh, this obnoxious show off. And the thing is, quite possibly for an holistic person, they would be showing off if they went on and on about a moral decision to that extent, because they would be forcing it to the front of their mind. But it's for me, a lot of that stuff, it's just really hard not to think about it. Like, I can't fly because every time I got on the plane, I'd be picturing the Arctic ice caps melting. And when I say that about myself, I'm not being past remarkable about people who do fly because I'm autistic. We, if we want to pass a remark, we say it. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what's happening in my brain. It's that same filtering thing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just really not a, not a lens through which I had ever paused to, to, to view those characters through, and especially Jessie's panel, because that makes perfect sense, because she's fucking furious. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. And, they, and the difference between that social engagement and social justice being a performance or an expected like an ex- like a, a, a social like a falseness as opposed to an authentic response that you can't clear your head of yeah and you are living according to because it's a deeply held belief of the world and an understanding of the world that's huge because the performance then becomes kind of worse and fake do yeah. you know what I mean yeah but yeah. if it's coming but when it's coming from a point of like no I, I, I literally can't because an animal died and I'm yeah. sorry like, yeah for yeah. us it's like I'm gonna take a break from lying for a second to tell you what I'm thinking but um, <laughs> to someone who's maybe more neurotypically structured it's like why are you starting lying now Whoa. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's actually why my conviction is that if she just happened to memorise a different set of values Blair Waldorf would be a complete Greta Thunberg because when she gets upset when people reach the norms of upper class Manhattanites it's that same, oh God, this is wrong and I can't screen it out. It's so deeply upsetting to my framework that Serena's doing this. So if if we could just get her some better values. Just change her focus yeah. over, just bring her over on the other side. Yeah, so yeah. hang on, so that's Blair Waldorf, uh, Paris from Gilmore Girls, Elwoods. Yeah. Um, Jesse Spano. Uh, is there anybody who, who else? You also, oh, you mentioned Libby from Sabrina. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm definitely. Yeah, another prep. I, I, I think most of the preppy ones are obsessed with that. And in Libby's yeah. case, I think the relationship with her mother is extremely interesting. There's that episode where Serena meets Libby's mother and comes to understand Libby because Serena's, uh, Libby's mother is parroting those norms herself. So yeah. I think that's a pretty plausible case of masking where Libby has memorized to some degree that all daughters do if we look up to our mother, her mother's values, and then completely over applies them. Yeah. And it's sad that that's the framework she has as opposed to how do I save the planet? But it helps you understand her better if she has that same trouble with filtering or that same reliance on routine and certainty. That's amazing. I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. I think. So, Nisha, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Uh, thank you. Plug yeah. your stuff. Your book's just Your out. Book's it's out, April. Yeah. Tell us about it. Give us the, give us um, the plug. 
Yeah, so it's set in expat Hong Kong. The main character is a young Irish TEFL teacher who gets mired in a love triangle with a male British banker and a Hong Kongese female lawyer. Um, I, I think a lot of the themes that we discussed will be interesting in terms of reading it. Like, I wasn't as self-aware about my autism when I wrote it, and none of the characters are explicitly autistic, but I'm really interested to see how people respond with that lens or without it, because there's a lot of stuff like Convenience Store Woman where I read it and I go, oh, she's so autistic. But I think there's an interesting power dynamic to consider in terms of reading characters as belonging to marginalised groups when it's not clear in the text. Like, as a queer person, I'm extremely uncomfortable with straight people going, oh, I think that character's queer. Because how that sounds to me is like, I can tell by looking at you. I Whereas, can read it from you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As opposed to, oh, that's like my experience. Or, yeah, oh, I yeah. have felt that way. Yeah. yeah. Or even just saying the same thing. If another queer person goes, I can tell by looking at you, I'm like, great, that's a compliment. Whereas you you don't necessarily trust that it is from a straight person. Yeah. So the same thing with autism. It's a speculation that I love to see other autistic people make that I'm less comfortable seeing neurotypicals make. But mm. um, nonetheless, I, I think... That same consideration of why female creators are assumed to be trying to make you like their characters will be interesting because that's not something that interests me and it's not that I consciously created characters that people won't like. It's that of the many ways that you can engage with different themes or concerns as a writer, I didn't choose how do I make them likeable as Who's one. my sweetheart? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where yeah. is she? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just curious about the characters and tried to be as honest about them as the, and their motivations as I could, which I'm, I'm interested to see how people respond to. Yeah, cool. all right. Thank you so much. Pumped. Sarah, where can we find you? What's your stuff? On Twitter, I'm at Grifsky. Um I don't have anything else right now. I'm making zines. Uh, I, it's April, so I finished my third novel. We're just going to say that, yeah. right? We're just, it's definitely <laughs> April, right? <laughs> that's that's going to happen by now. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at... Uh, at at Grifsky on Twitter or at Sarah Grifsky on Instagram, which I prefer because it's nicer out there. Let's be real. It's much sounder on Instagram. Alan McGuire, where can we find you? I am at Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Mm-hmm. Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter. Juvenalia pod on Instagram. Uh, we have a website now. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. Gosh. I'm so excited. It's the the best template Squarespace could provide. It's, it's pink. It's, it's pink. It's, it's uh, juvenalia.net mm-hmm. because some scammer has taken juvenile.com hostage absolutely they want $300 for it they can fuck they can fuck off they can fuck with their $300 get Blair Waldorf to pay it yeah Yeah. Blair I will pay the $18 for juvenile.net thank you very much we'll send El Woods after you and also we have a Patreon yeah. Uh, which helps us pay for that $18 for the thing. We have fun Patreon-only episodes, which involve a non-Christmas Christmas episode, mm-hmm. uh, a very deep dive into... Um, se- uh, we did Sega vs. Nintendo, and we yeah. did... Um, uh, Scott Pilgrim. The Scott Pilgrim was great, crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we should just have a Scott Pilgrim podcast, to be honest, instead yeah. of doing anything else. And also there's a badge and a sticker yeah. in it for you. Both so you even if you only give us a dollar a month, you still get that. Mm-hmm. So that is it. Thank you so much, Nisha Dolan. Thank Everybody you. go oh, really... And excited. thank you to Tall Tales for oh, having and, us. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. other bits we did. Thank you, Dee McDonald, for our artwork as well. We miss you, Dee. And we miss you, Ellen. Hi, yeah. from Ireland. Uh, thank you, Cassie, for producing it. Listen to... Oh, and Rogue. Talk about Rogue. Oh, yeah, Rogue. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, we are not... This is the first time we've wow. recorded in a while. We're, We're not We're rusty. <laughs> I've been away for a month. It's an, Yeah, it's a while. Uh, Tell us about Rogue. Rogue is a monthly slash weekly publication uh, by uh, 10 gals. Um, 12 gals, I want to say. The 13 of us, Cassie. 
How many are? How many rogues are in the house? Twelve. Twelve. Twelve gals. Uh, every Sunday, you get between three or four pieces by one of the gals uh, into your inbox. It's for your own month, which is delightful. Um, I'm writing about YouTube because I think people, more people should write about YouTube. Um, Louise Mishari is covering uh, beauty. Uh, there's a series uh, about people's interiors and what our shelves say about us by Sophie White. Louise Bruton's bringing you, um, like, to be honest, brilliant playlists. Uh, there is so much in every issue. Um, so you should subscribe to us uh, because women's magazines are heaving a breath and there isn't enough uh, women's media. Women's media is a baller subculture and it shouldn't be. So uh, come and hang out with us. We're also at this point uh, accepting, um, I believe, queries uh, if you or pitches if you have a piece and would like to write for us. Uh, that's a very that, that's why I'm not doing any of the public media about Rogue because <laughs> um, I'm not great at it. But yeah, you should you should check us out at Rogue Collective on Instagram, Rogue Collective on um, Twitter. It's Rogue like Vogue, but absolutely not. Um, you should also listen to other Tall Tales uh, podcasts like Private Education by Ashlyn Keenan, who is also a writer for. Mm-hmm. Um, Vogue, which is about uh, riding and uh, creep dive, creep dive, which yeah. is uh, about creeping. So <laughs> you like riding, you like creeping. You should listen to the Tall Tales podcast. What are you doing? Yeah, that was very long. Sorry. Yeah, there we <laughs> very go. Enticing <laughs> so again, finally, thank you, Nisha Dolan. Thank you, Nisha Dolan. Thank everybody, you so go much. by exciting times, and we'll yeah. see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye.